Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Everybody's having a good week, had a good weekend, and um, the sun is shining where you are. Um, I've had quite a difficult weekend thanks to... um, my car breaking down on the motorway and unfortunately uh, I was stranded for about four hours in the sun yesterday so I'm rather um, I'm rather slightly burned hot fed up um, but what did happen was I had plenty of time um, apart from the universities trying to teach me something and I've probably got a large bill coming on Monday uh, Monday morning for the car um, there's something about I got chance to sit and mull over the conversation that I had with my guest this week, who's uh, Joanna Fortune, who is also a psychotherapist. And pretty much what what we found through talking today, so it was my first time of actually speaking to her face to face, is that we practice in very, very similar ways regarding children and um, what it is that they need in therapy. But also we were discussing... Um, what what's happening for children at the moment so the topic might be called uh, distracted parenting or just digitally distracted something like that by the time I've, I've actually given this a name um so what what we spent our time talking about today was um how even though the the children and young people of today are being given uh, labels and diagnoses and i'm sure if you listen to this podcast you'll know that that's something that i particularly dislike um and actually it quite often can be the parents who are digitally distracted and what that does is it creates this lack of attachment between um babies and parents or toddlers and parents and this is how we build brains so this was um something that i talked about in last week's episode around play and kind of what i did what what my Dharma, my job is, um, is to help create the uh, connections between synapses, the connections between people. Now, that might be mothers and children. It might be the whole family together. Um, And we talked about how and why we do what we do um, and how we both have um, a connection with the the cyber-related issues and how they present in our therapy rooms. So we had a bit of a conversation about... um, kind of eye contact we talked about um play and why that's so important and actually that takes you back to last week's episode so if you haven't listened um that would be a good one to pop over and listen to and also share um and i spent a lot of time thinking actually this is really what i'm doing and i keep coming back to why i'm doing the podcast and what's going on but obviously i'm aware that people tend to listen to um one episode that gets recommended to them so this is how i get into podcasts somebody will say oh there's a there's an episode with blah 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 and they tend to name people that they know i like um and what happens is then you listen to that podcast that one episode and that then takes you to the other episodes so this is about uh, me being quite repetitive and for those of you who are regular uh, viewers and listeners then i don't apologize for that because it's part and partial of what i have to do in order to share this podcast around so there's something around um, why I'm doing this podcast. Well, it's exactly what I do in therapy. It's about having a conversation and bringing some more information to you, the listener, the viewer, where you can now start to make connections um, with the stories that I'm, I'm talking to people about. And this is how 
synapses connect together in, in the brain and how they work together and then this is how we get creativity and then we have further thoughts and, and then we can take that information and knowledge to other people and this is why cyber synapse has the name that it does it's about me sharing information for you to then share that information because in terms of what i do as a therapist i work with perhaps the child in therapy and i might have i don't know 15 20 clients in a week uh, maximum i don't because I, I don't work that that many hours um but that might only be 20 people that i could help and people tend to come to therapy more than once um so it might be 20 people over a set period and then that changes and it might be one substitute but a bit like when you used to go to the nightclub and it was one out one in uh, kind of scenario and i thought yeah this is why i'm doing the podcast because i can give you some of this information whilst i'm i'm doing all the other stuff that i'm doing and you get to share it with somebody else and they get to share it with somebody else and not only do you create the connections within your your brain and how you're now thinking through to uh, through something called neuroplasticity but actually the very fact that you then share that information with somebody creates another connection so we've got a cyber synapse um, which is also the same as a social synapse so if you're talking to somebody face to face you're having a direct impact on their brain and when you get into today's episode you'll hear kind of um, Joanna talk about this right brain right brain connection um, which comes from a lot of the attachment specialists and we know that this is how neuroscience is now bringing the evidence to us that this is this is essentially how attachment works um, which is why I'm such a fan of the these two um, these two perspectives and these two theories and why I use them quite a lot. However, I've spent the entire weekend with another uh, biohacker and, and as I said, spent a long time on the side of the motorway yesterday, which was both beautiful. Um, so we got to, uh, myself and my friend who's a biohacker, we sat watching um, some birds of prey. We sat watching loads and loads of cars. We had a fantastic conversation and what I did do was I, I, I talked passionately about why I do the podcast, why I'm writing the book, why I do what I do as a therapist. And I thought I'd reflect that back in terms of where I am and what I'm doing. Um, so this is, this is why I'm doing the podcast and this is what I wanted to bring to you today. But I really, really had a lot of fun talking to Joanna as well. And that's been, that's been a fantastic thing to then take to... Um, to kind of think about and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and there's something about so this is what I'm asking you to do as the listeners and the viewers is to take this information and to share it in terms of um probably to quote Jim Quick and by now maybe few of you know that I like him quite a bit in terms of his and it's because he has really succinct quotes um so he says knowledge is only potential power until you apply it so this is about that's not quite what he says but i'm making a, a little bit of a um i'm actually uh taking it and changing it a little bit because what i'm trying to ask you to do is to share this so that other people question how they think about what they're doing with their digital devices and their behaviors in cyberspace so that they might listen to other episodes in terms of being able to share that with other professionals other parents and so on um, and hopefully this will just keep on, uh, keep on keeping on, if you like. And also to say that um, I'm going to be putting up my first reflections on a few things on uh, Patreon. Um, and that was what I addressed this weekend with my friend is what, what did I want to put up on Patreon? How was I going to do it? Um, 
And that's, that's regarding this whole cyber trauma um, theory that I have. So for those of you who want to understand cyber trauma and where I'm coming from, you will have to go to patreon.com forward slash cyber synapse and you will have to donate, um, sponsor, subscribe, whatever word you want to use, but basically become a patron of this podcast, share it around, um, obviously because I've now got a car to repair, um, but that's how I'm going to share this, this knowledge with you, is rather than um, waiting for, for the book to come out, which is not going to contain all of the cyber trauma stuff, I just cannot get it in. I would be writing a book that's about 100 to 150,000 words, which is the equivalent of three PhDs, and I'm already doing one. So this is a way of me having a discussion with the people who really want to understand this work. And the only way I can do that is to provide you the platform and for you to buy into that platform. Um, uh, so in the meantime, uh, I hope you have a lovely week. Um, I hope you really enjoy this episode. This has been, uh, this was an absolute blast to do. Um, and my brain was fizzing. I will be having Joanna back because it's, it's so nice as a child therapist who works quite, quite in isolation in terms of I'm, I'm one of the only therapists who works with children who does it in this particular way using this particular theory. Um, and it's taken a long, long time to train, uh, yeah, there's something around. It's really nice to actually connect with somebody who's very, very similar. And I think that you may get a, a whole heap of um, spark moments. You might get a lot of aha moments throughout this, this um, episode. And this is really why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, please, as always, feedback. And just to top off, um, I actually have a second set of uh, Holly Ann's books, which are regarding early years education, uh, particularly around young children who have seen pornography online. And what I'm asking you to do is don't wait for time limits, but send me a DM, send me a message, um, maybe put your thoughts out on uh, the YouTube version uh, or, or get hold of me on Instagram, so I'm Nibsy01 on that, or Twitter, um, so I'm Nibsy. For those at NIBZY, that is. And for those of you who follow, uh, who, who want to connect with me on Facebook, I'm sorry, but that's my, that's my friends list. Um, so, yeah, follow me on social media and connect with me there. Give me your thoughts, and I will pick another person to send the uh, set of books out to. Uh, they are absolutely invaluable. And within, within the next five or six months, I can tell you why I'm, I'm promoting these books in the way that I am doing in terms of that. I get no revenue from that. Holly is a very good friend and it's very, very important that we start talking to children about pornography very quickly. Um, and I will let you know later on this year why we need to do that. Um, in the meantime, I think I've covered all my bases. Don't forget, rate, subscribe, share, please share, share again, share again, and, uh, I shall see you next week. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Joanna Fortune. Joanna is a psychotherapist and a child attachment specialist who is currently, um, are you living in uh, Ireland? Yes, I do. I live in County Wicklow in Ireland, yeah. Okay. So, um, as you can see, I'm interviewing people from all over the world at the moment, and although it's not that far away, um, again, this is you, you are a contact that I've got from social media. Yes. And it's actually... Um, through social media that I've been kind of pestering people and asking them to come on and, and talk about different topics. So this week we're going to talk about distracted parent or distract digitally distracted parents. Exactly. Um, 
But first of all, uh, do you want to talk about who you are, what you do, why you do what you do? Um, and then we can kind of get into the flow of the conversation. Absolutely. I'm delighted to talk to you. This is great. I'm, I'm thrilled you asked me to do this. So uh, back in 2010, I set up my practice, which is called Sullav Parent-Child Relationship Clinic. And the reason I did that was I saw a real need to work on the relationship between children and their parents rather than solely seeing children in isolation or children mm -hmm. presented as a symptom of a family issue or communicative or attachment issue that was going on yeah. invariably we go back and we we begin to talk about well what was the pregnancy story what was the first two years three years the early feeding relationship all of the attachment nuggets that we're tracking and i work a lot in a dyadic way not exclusively but very often uh with parents being an active part of the child's therapy from the beginning mm -hmm. um when it's around that. So prior to that, I worked for years in the NGO sector here in Ireland as well in high trauma areas, rape, sexual assault, child sexual abuse, domestic violence. Uh, and for uh, the latter part of that stage of my career with children in orphanages overseas. So for me, the Sullivan piece ties a lot of that together and allows me to really take a lot of that knowledge and apply it through mm -hmm. the attachment and therapeutic lens. So that's really what I'm about and what I do. Yeah, well, for for um, people in in terms of uh, the listeners, the viewers, um, that's very similar to how I work actually. But I don't I don't have um, I don't have a beautiful name, so I'm just going to ask you about Salav. So we we talked just before we started yeah. about what it means and and why why it's such a beautiful word. It's directly the Irish or Gaelic translation for Solomon. And it used to be quite widely used as a boy's name here in Ireland, though very infrequently um, mm. these days. But really in its meaning, it's the translation is wisdom, but within context that wisdom exists in relation between people and not within any one person on their own. And I just love that idea. For me, it embodied, yeah. that, you know, that's what we're about in Sullivan. It's about capturing that knowledge and wisdom that exists between parents and children. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I actually, I could do a whole podcast on your, your way of working and everything. And, and, and I wanted to say, Oh, actually I've seen on your, your bio that you use DDP and the kind of, and then I just, and oh, not and what, that, yeah. <laughs> that's not what you're here to do today. Yeah. Might, that might, that might be a, a podcast just to do anyway. Do, oh, in, certainly. I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. That would be amazing because so it's, it's really interesting. So when I work with children who have got eating disorders or um, mm. it is one of the things I talk to parents and they say, well, what do you mean about my pregnancy? And I say, well, we've got lots of science that helps us understand this. And, and it's really, really important. The, the I, early I, I years, think with eating disorders in particular, there's so much to be explored with that because there's so much about that struggle and that battle to uh, achieve an individuation and a separation process um, for the young people in question. And it's often the high emotional charge around food that we're all, gosh, we could really talk for ages about the sort of incentivization schemes we apply to foods and the hierarchy yeah. of what's a good food and what's a bad food and all of this language yeah. that's so terribly unhelpful around that. Yes, and and there will be somebody. Um, so um, on 
one of the things I'm going to say is one of my other podcasts is I am what they call a biohacker. So I've recently had my DNA sequenced so that I can use something called nutrigenomics. Oh, I said it properly. Um, Nutrigenomics so that I can actually work out what foods are good for me in terms of health. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, But also I will say for people on, on this, um, uh, and it does get talked about a lot in the bio biohacking culture about how the food industries have warped us and it's that language isn't it oh, it's um, you're competing with a multi-billion dollar industry yeah, um, yeah. So there's a lot of incentivization to make sure we all buy in from the youngest mm-hmm. age to an emotional charge around food and feeding yeah well i'll just say there's an emotional charge in my house at times with my my um well they i mean they're grown up now they're adult boys and we get into this battle all the time when they'll they come in and i go sugar junkie uh, yeah so there you are you get an insight into what it's like in my house and they go yeah. well I'm only having co- yeah but we we do talk yeah. about food all the time in terms of you know well this is what I've just been reading and this is what I've just found out we're constantly comparing yeah. uh notes and who said what and you know the kind of information that's out there on social media mostly yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> well, we yeah. do feed our feelings don't we you know when something bad happens we sit down and we eat when something good happens we celebrate and we eat and there's there's an unavoidable emotional charge and coming from ireland i mean there's this you know inherent belief we all grow up with intergenerationally that there is little and nothing that cannot be solved in this world by putting on the kettle and having a cup of tea yes (laughs) there is such a charge around food and nurture in that sense that and of course nurture being such a bedrock of attachment there is an overlap with all of this and how we how we use food yeah well although i'm not talking about food yeah in my book i am talking yeah oh no 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 this is it's just for me this is symbiotic isn't it it's all together and you can't say that food is this thing over here so in in my book some of the parts where i've talked about um the the fitness industry versus the um anorexic industry versus in in terms of the two polar opposites and actually what i'm talking about all the way through my book is attachment that's yeah, well, it's unavoidable, isn't it? It's it's part and parcel of everything. It's who we yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just thinking, actually, this is where um, kind of the digitally distracted parents. So I'm going to bring up something Mary Aitken wrote about. I don't think it was in a book, but it was definitely a tweet about um, the swipe and feed. So I don't oh. know if you remember this. Um, mm-hmm. So for, for people listening and uh, watching this, this was a device that you could pop onto the baby's bottle that you could put your phone in. And whenever I'm teaching people and saying, okay, so this is where it begins sometimes. But also, although we, it was, yeah, demonized and criminalized in, in, in every training that I do, what I get is, oh, that's shocking, Kath. And I said, well, actually, what about if the baby's kind of half in and out of sleep? And what about if that is a really lonely mum and the only yeah. connection she has is in a Facebook group? Or perhaps she's struggling with breastfeeding or perhaps, you know, there is something about actually this tool is both positive and negative. Yeah. And I suppose I see that because I think one of the things that are is so rarely or at least underspoken about is loneliness in parent in motherhood because you spend all day at home minding. And I say this as someone who has a 14 month old and has just, you know, is negotiating all of that. Mm -hmm. And are alone with the baby and of course you know well not of course but most likely you love your baby you're enjoying spending time with them but you give and give and give you talk and talk and talk 
and you get nothing back in terms of verbal, well, how are you, mom? And thanks for doing that, mom. Yeah. And so often then at the end of the day, if you have a partner and your partner returns, you have, and they're tired and winding down, you're, who do you see? What do you do? Where'd you go? What happened? Tell me, tell me, tell me. You're hungry yeah. for that kind of human connection. Yeah. So I do understand, but I suppose that's the key difference that I see in that product you're talking about is the human connection. If your only connection is through the lens of a smartphone or is on social media platforms, I totally understand why you would do it to alleviate loneliness. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it will alleviate your loneliness or isolation because missing from that is the in-person right brain to right brain me interfacing my social engagement system, igniting and connecting with yours. You cannot get that through the lens of a phone. So I understand why you would seek to do it, but it's not an answer. And actually it should open up the door to a much bigger conversation about what are we proactively doing and what services in the real world exist to support lonely mothers. Yeah. Well, this, this is that we're into the perinatal kind of work and and so on. And and I'm very lucky to have um, friends who work uh, in and around perinatal mental health. And and obviously I, yeah, having done baby obs and so on, it is something that I do, but actually I don't see the mums in therapy because there is this uh, it, there is this questioning sometimes that happens where people say, "Yeah, but how can a baby be depressed or how can it oh. no actually it is a relationship, and this is how brains develop and and yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you can have a depressed infant or a depressed oh. toddler i've seen yeah more than I'd like to admit to have seen. And it's not exclusively digital distraction. There's often multiple variables. It's never yeah. really, everything's great except for the phone use. The phone use is a symptom of, of something else going on in the environment. Mm-hmm. But phone use is, is a huge issue. And it's, to be honest with you, I hear it from children. I'm really thinking of my kind of five to nine-year-olds. And I'm struck just mm-hmm. talking to you, remembering um, there's a Harvard psychologist who wrote a book, Catherine Steiner Adair is her name. Um, yeah. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, it's not that old, the book, but it's basically called The Big Disconnect. And then there's quite a long subtitle, I'm not sure, but it's basically around protecting family and childhood relationships. It's some variance on those words, but you, you would find it easily with her name. But in as part of her book and research, she interviewed over 1,000 children aged between 4 and 18 years old and mm-hmm. over hundreds of parents and teachers. And what she found, you know, overwhelmingly was that children and teenagers reported feeling exhausted, angry, sad, despondent, frustrated um, by all of their efforts to try and get their parents' attention. And again, they're using the word attention, but I tend in my head to sub in the word connection when I hear the word attention, (laughs) because there are so many ways to get attention. But when you're seeking connection in a relationship, I think what people dismiss as attention-seeking behavior is often connection seeking behavior yeah and and this is very different and i think what she's looking at is that children named themselves that they feel they're competing with screens and as i read some of her work what came up for me was this thought that Mm. the narrative around competing with screens for the parents attention or connection was very similar to the narrative you typically hear when children are talking about competing with siblings and sibling rivalry and Mm. of course that's, a, that's an important part of, you know, psychosocial development. Sibling rivalry, while not pleasant and certainly not pleasant to parent through, is unavoidable once you've children and multiples of children and age gap. And of course, there's a couple of things that come in. But I thought that that was really interesting that we often talk and a lot of media coverage is focused on 
get the kids off the screens, get the children off, deal with that. And, I, and yes, that is an issue and worthy of discussion. But I think we've got to go further back and say, what are we teaching our children if every time from infancy they look up and rather than meet our gaze, they actually see themselves reflected back through the lens of a camera. You cannot internalize a sense of self through the lens of a smartphone. That's done through person-to-person -person interaction. Yeah. So, you know, what are we teaching our children? That this device is the most interesting thing in my world. Of course, children want to get hands on that and use that. It's the most interesting thing in the world. We're teaching them that. So I think, you know, digital distraction yeah. in parenting, I get it. I understand the isolation and loneliness. But understanding it doesn't necessarily mean we can tolerate or excuse it. We have to look at alternatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's almost like you've read my book before. Before it's got, uh, so, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing. Well, I, I don't, I've used the phrase "under uh, the the phone's the most important thing in the room," and actually, what must that feel like for a baby? Um, so, what I've got in my training, one of the script I show. Uh, right at the beginning, I talk about attachment, and I show um, the um, still face experiment. Oh, yeah, electronics work, yeah. But I've, I've substituted it, and when it gets to the end of the video, the, the actual still face, I've substituted for an Apple symbol. Yeah, and you know, I think, to the best of my knowledge, that study has, Edtronic study has been replicated, I think, by a Danish researcher, Again, I'm, I may be inaccurate in that. I'm sure, I, I'm half sure yeah. it's a Danish researcher using the smartphone rather than the still face so that the parent engages with the child, but then when it comes to the still face minute, takes a phone up and just stares into a phone for the minute. And what they found was the impact and the outcome of the experiment was identical. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it, this is it's really interesting to, to look at that. And I think, you know, it's more than that because in, in the first, you know, that what is commonly called the fourth trimester of development, you know, when a child is yes. in that first quarter of their, their months, yeah. that they don't even know yet that they are a separate being to their mothers. They still believe we're one and the same person. So what they need more than anything is their mother's gaze. And... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I often say, you know, when I'm talking about this, that put down the phone and use your eye cameras. You know, use your eyes. Trust that you will remember these moments and you can share these moments by telling stories. When mm -hmm. you were a baby, we did this, I sang to you. We did, and using that rather than I have to catalog every millisecond of my child's life in case I forget or I'm not able to tell them yeah. or show them, look how much I loved you. I memorized everything. Children actually take that from us through stories. They don't want to see it any other way. They want to hear it from us. They want to look into our eyes. They want to see love on our faces, our muscles, you know, in terms of polyvalency. <coughs> that we are communicating through our social engagement system, I get you, you are gotten by me. Do you know, uh, you, must, you must have the same heroes as me. When you were talking, I was, uh, my brain is fizzing at the moment and I'm trying to regulate myself at the minute <laughs> going, don't go. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because I, sh I show um, the picture that, is it Travathan uses with the, the right to... Oh, of course, yeah. I think Shaw, uh, Alan Shaw's a little bit difficult for parents to read in terms of he's very, very... Um, Psychiatric, sure, yeah. So I, I tend to say, it, and I use computing acronyms, I say it's like Wi-Fi. The brain has to physically receive that feeling via yeah. eye contact for you to then develop and da-da-da-da-da-da. And we talk, 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking this it's is where my brain's going to be. And I suppose I'm, I'm using drawing on current, uh, you know, pop psychology references, you know, Wimbledon's going on. Um, it's yeah. like tennis because it's a serve and return function. Yeah. And that's how it acts. You know, when a baby goes, ooh, ooh, to us, we go, really? Tell me more. And yeah. using the prosody of our voice, we are conversing with our babies. We mm. are lying meaning we are interpreting and we are all the time saying i am right here with you you are fun to be with i enjoy you and you are enjoyed by me and those kind of serve and return functions are everything in laying the foundation stone for healthy human development yes. and not so much about youth mental health you, you know it's become quite the buzzword and often i kind of look at that and go well great you know it's great that we're talking about it but do we really understand what we're talking about are we really taking a step back and go well rather than just talking about it when it's a problem why don't we proactively invest in infant mental health and well yes protect <laughs> mental health as it grows through our youth yeah it's almost like the the buzzword and i I try not to be too sarcastic in my writing, but there is a little bit about the word resilience. And I say, actually, we're not talking about resilience. You can't be resilient if you didn't get the foundations. Um, and in, yeah. in um, so I've trained with TA as well. I yeah. talk about the early um, affirmations that we need to, to build the foundation of resilience, because actually that's what resilience is. It's in a, a brain that's developed through attachment processes and can actually hold and contain my mum's not here for the moment, but it doesn't mean she's abandoned me. It means X, Y, Z, and she'll be back in a minute. And, and it's that I state of constancy. Oh, that, you know, yeah. that I can hold you in mind and I can be held in mind. Mm -hmm. If you're cross with me, I know that you love me because yeah. our relationship can withstand this. And I have experienced repeated mm -hmm. patterns of rupture followed by repair. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to, just tying in the Edtronic piece. I mean, that's really what his research is about, is that rupture is an unavoidable, even healthy part of parent-child relations, human relationships, um, once it's followed by quick, healthy, meaningful repair. Mm -hmm. Do you know, I'm drawn to what you talk about in your TED Talk there, about the shame, you know, where we have healthy shame yeah. and toxic shame. So I will, in, in the show notes, actually, I'm going to put... Um, a link to the, the book that you've talked about um, by Catherine Steiner. It's uh, Steiner Adair. I don't know. I don't know. Catherine, surname. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Steiner. Uh, it looks like Adair. I will, I will just Google it and find it. Anyway, I'll put that in the, the show notes. Yeah. I'm going to try and find this Danish piece of research as well because that will be helpful for the book. Um, but I, I think this is where we're talking about it's di distracted parenting yeah it's some of the issues so the narrative in my therapy room is well why do, why don't i get my phone she's always on hers he never talks to me because he's always on his computer or playing whatever and da, da, da. and I, I i'm so with you on this one that i'm going aha uh -huh. actually the children are complaining i'm going to say that's what it feels like complaining about the interactions at home so quite often um and I, I don't like coming up with digital diets and because and, we get yeah. a lot of these words banded around. And I, I will sit with clients and say, okay, what we need to do is talk about how you work as a family. Yeah. Um, so one, one of my friends uses a metaphor of she doesn't see the child. She's like a car mechanic. You don't just bring the battery in when it's broken. You bring the whole car. 
Yeah, and sometimes I think we have to flip that, don't we, and say that maybe this child or young person is serving a really important function in their family and they're bringing the family to therapy um, through their behavior. Because mm. depending on age and developmental capacity, but children can't, generally speaking, say, I'm overwhelmed and perturbed by the emotional stuff that I'm dealing with right now, and I think it's connected. That's not what happens. <laughs> they, they tell you through their behavior. So they throw something across the room. They shout. They they have a meltdown, they're sensory overstimulated. They don't mm -hmm. say I'm overwhelmed and perturbed, they show you. And I think yes. you've got to get into the doing, not saying. And that's why I think so much of therapy has to take that approach. You know, really what we're talking about is coming in through the brainstem rather than that neocortex part of the brain. We're talking mm -hmm. about the bottom up approach. So if I'm trying, if someone comes to me and they're completely dysregulated and, you know, they're offline, so to speak, that thinking logical part of the brain isn't accessible. And I'm sitting there saying, tell me why you did that. That's like having the radiator on and the window open. That's not sticking. That's not landing. How can it? But instead, if I say, we're not going to talk about it, we're going to do it. And I use, you know, carefully selected, not random games, play activities that is taking that early infant parent relationship and replicating it in a developmentally appropriate way because it's still about close physical proximity, face-to-face -face interactions, my right brain to your right brain. It's using mm. joy, moments of meeting, all of that, those mechanisms that we know are so important in the parent-infant relationship. We're taking those exact same mechanisms and applying them therapeutically now to reestablish that connection and to meet in the moment. But I think yeah. that that's something that we do need to look at. But we also, rather than kind of, I think parents, you know, parents are, I work with are so aware of what they're getting wrong. It's actually often harder to remind them what they're getting right. That rather than say, you know, you're digitally distracted and we have a huge problem with this and problem, problem, problem. I think we've got to look at why. What is our fear of missing out on such a global scale that if I don't check my social media 80, 90, 100, 200 times a day, what is it exactly I think I'm missing out on? Because something in me has become now hardwired to believe that if I don't stay connected, I am somehow, and I'm missing yeah. the disconnect in front of me. But yes. we've lost sight of, you know, is there joy, pleasure, and do you do you enjoy playing with your children because playing is their language so you can say i love being with my kids but i don't like playing playing is their language yes and i did mention yes. to you, i have a book coming out on that actually how to use play and playfulness but i'd look at it in that context of play being a state of being rather than a sequence of activities and i think that's what mm. we've got to get back to is embracing playfulness in the right here right now because the internet cannot give us that we no, will never no. get the same dopamine hits that we will get from person to person interaction but we've lost value and part of my tedx talk looking at shame was around talking to young people in a school around how do they see and view themselves and each other and it's you know almost exclusively now through the lens of a smartphone and what is the societal cost of that yeah yeah i uh, uh <clears throat> i'm gonna put that in the show notes as well because i think there's something about um the, the first part you talked about, um, so if I remember rightly, this is pretty much what I've taught. Um, so I used to teach um, relationship sex education um, okay. with a with a third sector company, and we used to go in. I would spend more time talking about the brain 
Um, so I'd give them Dan Siegel's handy model and, and oh, sure, yeah. talk about, you know, well, if you're going to drink, this is what you do. And Facebook famous is this and da, 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 da. And at the time there was a trend uh, happening of young people being um, or getting drunk or being drunked as, as, as the girl said it. Yeah. Being drunk. And I was like, ah, right. That's where somebody spikes your drink and, yeah. and keeps giving you more. And that's, I've never heard that. I, I'm going to, oh, some of that. the, some yeah. of the terms that Yorkshire um, adolescents use are hilarious. Um, and, and they're certainly not ones to be said on social media <laughs> us doing this. Uh, cause I mean, I've, I've sworn on some of my things, but some of them are hilarious. Um, especially when you're doing relationships to sex education. I and, know. I can imagine. So, yeah, so I, I was talking a lot about, um, we were doing, uh, what was it at the time? Oh, the vi websites. And I'd, I'd talked about some of the things that they were seeing and doing and about mm. this trend of when, um, and it was usually girls who were drunk, were drawn all over with horrible words. Oh, or, right. or young men would get their penises out at the side of it and they'd take pictures and then that would be shared. Okay. And on your TED Talk, you talked about, so the girl got drunk and did mm -hmm. it. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's, this is not just a, a localised behaviour. This is much oh, bigger. And yeah. I think you talk about social media, the ultimate shaming. The, the ultimate platform. shame game with the question mark. Is it yeah. the shame game? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? When we're talking about play here, um, I'm just going to tie it into, um, and I, I will be talking to Anthony Bean, or Anthony, not sure how you say his name yet. Um, he's just written a book about using games in psychotherapy. So oh, yeah. Um, but what he's doing is he's coming from a Jungian perspective about the hero's journey. Yeah. And, you know, using the games that children play to then take that play basis model and apply it to the real world, because that's one of the things that children seem to be missing at the moment. And do you know what? This is what you're saying. If you play with your child, they learn, they can play, they can, they can have um, a story about everybody else that they've yeah. made up. And it's one of the things I do quite often when I'm so, and I'll say, so what would you, what, what Disney movie would you be? What would the story look like? How would that play out? I think if you make them directors of the story and say, so where would you mm. yell cut and what would you change? You know, mm. the director gets to do that. They get to say, you know, I'm going to get rid of that scene and I'm going to put a new scene in. Mm. And you give them control. That can be really rich. I think as well, we've got to value play. I mean, there are developmental stages to play. Um, but I, I, what we're really talking about, what came up around those, that group of um, young people I was talking about that I referenced in the TEDx talk, was in terms of quite low levels of empathy. But we know that the foundation stone for empathy is laid during stage two developmental play, projective narrative play. And you know, we, we see this, children do it all the time. Like they take two little things too. It could be dolls, teddies, cars, it could be pens. It could be that you draw two eyes and a finger on your index fingers and have them talk. But they have the two things talk to each other. And what's important about that is to do this type of play I have to be able to consider something from two perspectives at once. That is the foundation stone for critical thinking, for solution-focused thinking, for empathy, for civility, for turn-taking, for reciprocity, for general mm -hmm. human behavior. And yeah. that, that it happens kind of, you know, four to five, uh, five and a half years old, or, you know, six months either side, and that wouldn't bother me once they do it and do enough of it. But we're seeing a generation who, at that crucial age, coming out of sensory play into narrative play, they are, that is the age we are most likely as parents to hand them a device to 
distract, occupy, consume them. And what's happening there is we are short-circuiting their development, catapulting them forward, but without those crucial pieces. Mm -hmm. And then we're expecting them to be kind to each other, play well, be mannerly, function in school, do all these things when they don't have the foundations upon which to build those life skills. So we've got to get back to appreciating and valuing and more than that, understanding play. Because I would say it's great if you can play with your child. Better again if you can truly enjoy playing with your child. Oh, do you know, I am going to say for those of you listening to this episode, if you haven't, go and listen to what I talked about last week. So, um, just to give you a quick summary here, Joanna, I had the, the privilege, because it was a privilege, to meet with um, a gentleman called Jim Quick. Okay. The other week. And Jim Quick is a super brain expert, um, somebody that I've done quite a few of his courses and, and just, I absolutely adore him. I think he's lovely. And we were talking the other week about, um, so he was talking about limiting beliefs and why uh, all behaviour is belief driven and da 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 da. And he, he made a comment, which I've heard him make many, many times, which was, we grow old because we stop playing. Or we oh, forget I totally agree with that. And totally clients, oh, clients, the adults, so all, my episode last week is all about play. In terms of the I'm, adults, I'm going to listen back to that. That's fascinating. Oh, I waffled because the the um, what had happened was the the person due to come on and do the podcast um, had a, a family emergency. So I stood here last week and I waffled and I said, you know, this is what I do as a therapist. I get the best job in the world because recently I've been using my rocking chair upstairs as a spaceship. It's been um, I don't know what else it's been lately. It was a, a thing that we ran to in Tig and we ran round. Um, it's it's been a rocket. You know, it's just so many different things that we get to do. And these are children who you would not kind of perceive as playing in that way, but actually that's what they need to do. And Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to be exploring in my book um, is around embedding play in our adult relationships. Can we be playful with each other without an agenda, mm. without any sexual or intimate agenda, simply be playful in our connections? And there's a bit of a challenge in one of the chapters as to how you can do that and can you try mm -hmm. that out. And I think one of the things you're saying, they're just also brought into my mind, um, a part of what we've all lost the capacity for through our digital immersion is the capacity for boredom and yeah. we, we underestimate the value and importance of boredom we need to be bored we need to allow our children to be bored because out of boredom comes desire and creativity yeah creativity is the, the yeah one i generally talk to people about because it, it just gives them something to focus on oh so i need to do um, yeah but if you if you never get to be bored do you ever get to work out what it is that you love that thrills you that excites you that makes you tick mm. you know so rather than because i do think those words particularly now that we're in the summer months and school is on holidays when you <laughs> they're coming school, on i like, always find they're never said it's i'm bored i think that can actually cause chills to run down parents spines going oh my god we have to do something i would say no throw it right back and say great i'm so thrilled that you're bored i can't wait to see what you come up with to do this is really exciting. What a great opportunity. Yeah. And, and bounce back and go, you know, I mean, ch so many children these days have basically a franchise of a toy store at home. Like, they have so much stuff, mm -hmm. but we've mm -hmm. got to teach them how to be playful 
in terms of that's what I mean as play as a state of being rather than a sequence of activities because if I'm reliant on props in order to play or structured activities in order to play I'm not playful yeah I, I've I tend to pick up on um so sometimes obviously I'm now going to talk like a psychotherapist sometimes when the client is silent I'm looking and I'm going okay is this because they're uncomfortable is this because da 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 or are they actually experiencing boredom for the first time and I'm not going to dig them out of it? Oh, I'm no. Gonna... I mean, I think we've got to be comfortable with the uncomfortable silences yeah. because there may also be that beautiful state of free association where somebody is processing, assimilating, integrating mm-hmm. so that they can make a connection and move on or move past. And I think that that's really important. So if your child is quiet in their play, I don't think that's a cause for concern. I think it may be a cause for observation and interesting to see, my goodness, how can they do this? And could what could we learn from our children in that regard? Could we possibly be just be when our children, our babies are, you know, going back to your bottle feeding prop thing, which I hate. Um, but could we just be, could we just watch them while they sleep? You mentioned having done an infant observation, as did I way back, yeah. you know, in my training. And I thought, you know, often I think for the mom of the baby I observed, it was quite perplexing that I would simply come and she'd be, oh, I'm so sorry she's asleep. And I'm going, wonderful, lovely. And I would sit for my infant obs hour and just watch her sleeping, look at her twitches, her turns, her little sounds, her muscle yeah. responses, things like that. And you learn so much about what they're experiencing rather than go, okay, now I have nothing to do because the baby's asleep. Embrace having nothing to do. Really get to back to yourself mm-hmm. in those mm-hmm. moments of nothingness. Yeah. I, that that is what that's what a lot of the mums say in therapy. Yeah, but actually, uh, wow. Yes, I was just thinking the first sentence I said. So when I got told, you know, your infant obs. Okay, so you go and meet. It's a very bizarre thing. It is. Do, isn't I it? mean, I have such admiration for the parents who take us in and let us yeah. do them. Yeah. Yeah, so you do this thing, you, you kind of knock on the door and almost say, right, can I come and stare at your baby for the first, and, and it's too As a stranger that you, who you don't know at all, and you're going to let me into your home, and not just once off, but every single week for 18 months, thanks very much, yeah. or whatever duration you're doing it for. So, yeah, but for me, in all of the training I've done, you know, and I think as a psychotherapist, your training is constant. It never ends. Yeah. Uh, but I would say that my infant observation is, is without exception, one of the most valuable experiences that I've had in my, in my education, in my training journey. Yeah, I learned, to be honest, I learned so much about myself and my yeah, baby. absolutely and agree. Yeah, and the number of um, supervisees that come in and, and they want to work with children, and I say, you need to really go and do a diploma that's got this, this, and this. Oh, I think an infant observation has got to be part of your training if you're going to work with children and families in any capacity. I think it's, I think it's yeah. a minimum requirement. It's really good. It's, yeah, because of what you learn, but also about yourself as much as the relationship mm. you're observing in front of you. I mm-hmm. think that's really important. But I think, you know, to get back to the digital distraction piece, because I think what we are hearing in all of the study, you know, there's um, UNICEF do these child happiness and well-being studies. I think they're done every three to five years mm-hmm. and they're done with children in developed countries. So, you know, so-called wealthy developed countries. and. Yes. You know, what we looked at in that, the last one I looked at around 
Ireland was that Ireland had slipped down to around halfway in the rankings. And the only thing that kept us even there was that our children being interviewed said this was a happy and safe place to grow up and they, they liked growing up here. That was a good score for us. <coughs> Where we scored really badly, as, do, as did the UK and the US actually, was around our focus as parents, our focus on consumerism and material goods. And in those studies and research, what children are, are saying over and again is they will get, of course they're going to take the stuff and the presents and toys we give them, but they would give it back to us to have 10 extra minutes or 15 extra minutes a day yeah. with their parents. Because sometimes sitting next to their parents doing nothing means everything. Uh, do you know the, the one sentence that struck me, and it's very similar to this, and it's, it's probably, what, about two years ago, this adolescent said, what do I need an iPad for? I spent, and now this was from a separated family. Yeah. And I thought, ah, so we talked about perhaps dad's trying to buy you something to connect yeah. with you. And, but actually what she said was, why do I want an iPad? Because actually she got an iPad at home, but there was something about why do I want What she's what saying I is, I can't connect ah, with an iPad. Yeah. I need to connect with you. And that's not possible to do through mm -hmm. that. I need to see you, to smell you, to touch you, to laugh with you, mm -hmm. to be able to lock eyes with you, to be able to read how you might experience what I'm doing and saying. Mm. And based on what I read and understand, I have a choice. I can change what I'm doing and saying or how I'm doing it in order to elicit a different response. These kinds of what we would, the art of conversation, basic human exchanges, they're lost because young people are frequently telling us that I don't know what my mom and dad are saying. I'm communicating with friends all day because they're never switched off. But in communicating all day, they may be what I call navel gazing. They're just looking downward. There's no eye contact with anybody and they might never open their mouths to speak mm -hmm. a word. But feel they're constantly communicating. But cognitively, emotionally, how exhausting that type of connect, constant connectivity is. But you don't get to have the joy of an exchange. You don't get to develop your capacity for empathy when I don't get to read the impact I'm having on you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking here, this is also the same about the, the um, as you were talking, I just had a memory, which I use in training actually, um, about my experiences. So I always bring to the table, this is what happens in my family. Um, but the, the thing that we do have in my family is you do not bring devices to the table when we're oh, sitting I think that's basic. and it's all about conversation. Um, and I was just thinking that how many families actually have lunch, dinner, so on together now uh, without it being rushed and kind of maybe mum checking mm -hmm. the diary and dad checking the news. And, uh, and, and, and then we have, do we really have the 2.4 children, family, nuclear families? Um, but what, one of the examples I give is, this was what, when the boys were, so the Xbox had not long come out. So I was, I was sat doing a bit of work as you do, pre prepping a PowerPoint or something. And I looked up and one of my children was on the Xbox and the other one was on the computer. And I thought I haven't spoken for about an hour. Neither mm. has anybody yet. And I just went, right, that's it. Everybody off everything. You know, much yeah. to the, but mom, but mom. Right, everybody off. We stopped it. This is not okay. We're off for a walk. And if your children were younger and maybe differently wired, you, you realizing that might actually be enough to cause them a meltdown because you're abruptly stopping something. One of the things that I use, I don't think I have one to hand here to show you, but it's like, you know, like a really big egg timer, but they're 15 minute ones. Yeah. So is because it's so visual to say, 
when all that sand hits the bottom, the devices go off and we go outside. And to some extent, it's almost happening with the child or young person rather than to them. So they get to see their time winding down because so many of the young people that I work with or have come across or heard about through their parents, it's that it's this point of disconnection. I mean, literally mm -hmm. disconnecting the Wi-Fi or the internet. Um, that is the trigger. And I'm saying, oh, but if I've been completely immersed like this for hours and I'm so cognitively and virtually engaged and suddenly you take that away from me with no warning, I'm going to go from my thinking to my feeling very okay. dramatically. Yep. And I'm going to melt down because I'm sensory overstimulated. I haven't had any processing. I haven't had a wind down. And we've got to be more sensitive to that as well, because I think, you know, and often this is parents too, you know, there was a, a study, well, a kind of a, a small at-home study that any of us could do, and it might be a nice challenge for anyone watching to try this, that a work-from-home mom has, with two-year-old twins, this was reported in the Huffington Post uh, some time ago, she did um, a little at-home study where for one afternoon, rather than while they were playing, she would get some work done. Rather than do that, she just sat quietly not in their play but observing and the, and she counted how many times did her her little ones look up to seek her attention or just to see was she looking 22 times and that was in maybe an hour two hour period I can't remember now but it was a you know a short play period and that made her think these are 22 potentially missed opportunities for connection when my children are saying, are you seeing the amazing things I'm doing? Do you think I'm great? Wow, look at what I can do. Are you enjoying me? Am I enjoyed by you? And instead would be saying, oh no, you love your phone. You love your phone. And what does that teach them? And then later, you know, when they won't talk to us because they're teenagers and they're staring into their phones and we're going, oh, where did it go wrong? These phones are ruining family life. You're going, yeah, but that began a long time ago because children take their cues from us yep. so we actually rather than giving all of that power over to the phone or the device or the big companies let's take that power back and say i can change this and small changes in this regard really could make big differences yes that is literally now i didn't know that there was a study but this is based on an activity i gave a parent well it's been a number of parents now so in my book this is the section where i talk about um those dreaded words addiction um, and I talked about, um, so I gave the, I gave the parent, um, like a, it was like the, I said, do you remember when you were at school and you did those trips and you went out and you counted how many red cars and how many blue cars and you did the little gate counting in your notebook and, and the parent was like, yes, yeah. I said, I want you to do that at home this week. So I give my clients loads of homework, but I don't call it homework. And, sure. and she'd gone away and, and she said, uh, so what, what have I got to do? I said, okay, when you, when your daughter's doing X, Y, Z. I said, I want you to see how many times she makes eye contact with you or tries to make eye contact with you. And I just want you to do a little gate experiment. And then what I want you to do is when she's then playing the computer game, I want you to see what happens then. And there was this huge difference. And what I've talked about in the book is when we then go up and, you know, I call it the spaghetti test now because parents all know how long to cook spaghetti for and did da 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 That's a really good analogy, yeah you can't just walk up and turn a game off because actually there's some really important things happening for the child in the game as well as in their head and if you suddenly stop it when the child rages out which is completely expected 
don't use the phrase you're addicted to that thing that's it you're off it you're now punitively taking something away that was and actually it's a little bit finger pointing actually you created that situation yeah. because that as, as you're saying the wind down there wasn't a conversation um and I have a 45 minute um, timer. So I've got some timers for the Oh, 45 minutes. Okay. 45, yeah. I always use a 15 minute timer. And, uh, but I know that there's, you can get them for bigger times, but that's great because then you can set it up at the start before mm. the device is turned on and you can say, this is the time. All of this sand is your time online. <laughs> And what I, because I use that even in my clinic rooms, because when I work with children, time is such an abstract notion and saying we five more minutes, you may as well say two weeks. Yeah. Um, so I would just say, flip my 15 minute timer and say, when all that sand hits the bottom, we're done for today. And what I have found more often than not is that the young person will bring my attention and say, you know, our time is up today, so I'm going to go. And it's much easier than me saying, you've got to go now, and then going, well, I don't want to. Yeah, autonomy, agency. The, oh, yeah. 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 Well, but it's so important in terms of celebrating individuation, separation, and in practicing independence um, from the very youngest ages. These are really important. And that we give choices. But in order to give children choices, we have to be really happy with both choice A and B. Yes. Not give them one and go, please pick this one because I don't want this one. If you don't give that as an option if you don't want it. But celebrate that, yes, they can have a choice within your parental framework and scaffolding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. But in order to do that, we have to get offline. We have to use a bit of a timer on ourselves. And one of the things I do, I mean, look, at I work for myself. I use social media you know, from a work point of view and a personal point of view, is that when I want to take a break or be present or say, I'm, I'm going on holidays, I need to be offline, I delete the apps from my phone because I can never remember the passwords. And the chances of me logging on to a stationary device like a computer to check social media are slim to none. So if I don't want to be on it, I take away what's on my phone. You can re-download them when you want. Yeah. And, you know, and I delete it. And that's a really good way to take a break. But I think in order to bring, and this is maybe bringing our kind of whole conversation back together to a, a natural conclusion is, I think that if we want to teach our children about the value of being in the now and real life relationships, we've got to get back to experiencing it ourselves and knowing that it's joyful because if we know it's joyful and we feel joyful about it we can sell that message way more convincingly so rather than demonizing screens it's about looking at what small part what small positive part of our lives can the screens and the technology they afford us be and let's not give over all of our parental power to a, a device an inanimate object Absolutely. Let's take that back and get back to basics right here, right now, playing. That's what I would love to see. That's what I talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you know, uh, this is one of those conversations that I could do for hours and hours and hours because there's so much more. So I'm going to invite you back again, Joanna. So I would love to. This has been really, really fun and pleasurable and stimulating and all of those things. Oh, my, my brain is so alive at the moment and fizzing and, and I'm, I'm kind of like oh when I speak to that person about gaming and when I speak to that person about that I'm already thinking of the you're other, making connections that's what other, it does well, yeah. yeah well this is this is it all isn't it but that that very moment I was just thinking earlier 
what children are looking for, and I love Dan Siegel's uh, version of this, is to be seen, soothed, safe and secure. And you can't so do that with a, with a phone waving about in the middle because that doesn't make you feel safe, doesn't create safety. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, so coming yeah coming to the point that we have been i said it would go on for slightly more than half an hour and we have done apologies um, everybody this was inevitable we were going to go wow 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 yeah yeah um i have really really enjoyed this joanna so thank me you too. And thanks, so and thanks for having me um yeah i think we need to that this is going to get broadcast all over the social social media channels you know obviously on monday when i'm because I, I take time off on a weekend so me too, me too. I'm going to get out yeah. for a walk, which is what I'm going to do um, with the rest of our, with our day here is, you know, get out into the world, enjoy some of the sunshine while we have it. Ah, now you see, I'm going for um, a sensory deprivation float again today. Um, in wow. terms of, I Yeah, well, I, as I say on nearly every episode, I, I walk the walk, talk the talk in terms of the self-care yeah. and that. Now, if you want to think about boredom, that is an hour of just being with yourself. That's beautiful. That is a really wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, very boring at times, but also very enlightening because actually it's really interesting. But it's just to let those thoughts come and go and come in and out as mm -hmm. they're without yeah. kind of trying to censor or check them or, oh my goodness, they're just free floating. That's really lovely. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so I'm going to shoot off and do that. Okay. I mean, I'm going to miss the sun doing it, but you know, hey, no, you're going to get some dollars Yeah. And yeah. Um, it was lovely to talk to you. And thank you for accommodating me. I'm so sorry again for being late this morning, but let me know whenever you want to do this again. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, fabulous. Um, the way it's going at the moment, I think it might end up being really sick because I can't regulate myself too much in terms of, yeah, but I want to ask her this and I want to ask her that. And I'm just. Well, let's do that. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm aware that sometimes i don't regulate well but i'm aware that i'm doing it once so. you're aware that's mm. at least 80 percent of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right thank you ever so much um, not at all lovely to okay. talk to you Kat. take care bye-bye bye-bye